Well, good morning. I uh, hope you guys are doing well. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, um, and we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Uh, just over the next few weeks, I'm going to just be talking about grace and what, it, what this means. Um, today, I'm just going to be doing some groundwork. We get the understanding of grace down. I think um, some good things will happen in our life. Um, so yeah, Ephesians chapter 2. Again, thank you so much for coming out to the theater. If you don't have a Bible, the words and the scriptures will be on the screen behind me. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse number 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. I'll wait for the rest of you to get there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead and the trespasses and sins in which... You once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, so this is like the biggest conjunction ever, if I were back home, I would say the biggest butt you've ever seen. <laughs> Two of you got it. Good. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his craftsmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should all walk in them. Let me pray over the reading of God's word as I get my breath back in my body. <laughs> Jesus, I thank you so much for being here. Thank you, God, for the reading of your word. God, I thank you, Lord, that um, this word, there's so much freedom uh, for us. And the offer on the table for us this morning is the freedom of your grace. So God, I pray that if there are people here who are not resting in your grace, who've just not understood your grace, may we get an understanding and may it pierce our hearts. And for those who probably came here looking for some divine word, I thank you, God, that you did just give us the divine word. Save and heal in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to describe the gospel, if I can, uh, this morning. The gospel is not a syllabus that you receive in school. You remember maybe in college or if your teachers in high school gave you the syllabus. How many of you remember the syllabus? How many of you would just throw them away as soon as you got out of the classroom? Hello, my name is Matthew and I was a terrible high school student. I don't even know how I made it out of high school, but we're here today, okay? So I hated syllabus. It gives you this list of things to do, things that you did not want to do unless you are the overachiever in the room. 
please do not identify yourself because I don't want to know who you are. The syllabus. People equate the gospel of Jesus at times as being the syllabus. I have to do this. I have to do that. The gospel that God will love me and care for me more. He'll give me more gifts. He'll give me more things. He'll He'll give me luxuries of life if I can just achieve more of the gospel syllabus. We think that if we can do more, if we could achieve more, then God is somehow going to rain more blessings or he's going to look more highly upon you and I if we just stick with the syllabus that is not even in existence in the Bible. The gospel then, if it's not a syllabus, what is the gospel? The gospel, as we get this word, literally translates as good news. But why is it good news? Have you ever wondered that? What is the gospel? And it's, if it's good news, then why is it good news? Why is anything good news? Well, if you're like me, and you go to Vegas, and you hit the jackpot, I say if you're like me, I don't go to Vegas and gamble, But if you were to go to Vegas one day and you hit the jackpot, I would ask you, is that good news? Would it be good news? Thank you. For two people, I guess the rest of you are really high rolling it today. You should tithe. So so it's good news. Why is it good news? Well, I was broke. So that's bad news. The bad news is I'm broke. The good news now is... When in Vegas, I'm not going to let it stay in Vegas. It's coming home with daddy, right? We are going big now that we have hit the jackpot. It's good news. Do you see this? It's also when you're sick or if you got a really terrible report from the doctor. But suddenly, dramatically and miraculously, God heals you. That's really good news because the bad news is that you were sick and you had a terrible report from the doctor and now you are healed. That's good news. Likewise, the gospel is good news because it has brought this ultimate healing that you and I need. So I want you to see what Paul did here in the book of Ephesians. He laid out this universal indictment upon all people. He says that you were dead. That's the most horrific, tragic, terrible news that you can ever hear. You were dead. Notice who he tells this to. Does he say your mama was dead? Does he say that your daddy was dead? Your child, your, your, your neighbor, the person that's on your nerves. No, he gives the universal indictment to whom? To you. You are your greatest problem. You are the greatest problem to yourself than anyone else. I know you didn't come here to hear such discouraging news this morning, but that is why I'm here, to kick you in your shins. But if you'll just hang tight, there's some really good news accompanied with this. That you, thank you, that you are your greatest problem and that you are what? You're dead. I love this illustration that Paul gives us. And this is an illustration of the gospel. It's an illustration of the grace of God that he wants you to see who you really are outside of Christ. Because listen to me, if you cannot see who you are outside of Christ, then nothing else is going to make sense. If you can't see what Paul says, that you're dead in your sins, your trespasses, then you're really never going to grasp how good of a 
good news this really is. So Paul here, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and that's very tragic. I think the better illustration, I don't know if they had this illustration back in the ancient world, would be that you were a zombie. You were walking around lifeless without Christ. You're just existing. This is who you are outside of Christ, that you are spiritually dead, and you are in need of something to awaken your heart and to awaken your spirit and to awaken your mind. So he says, you are dead. And then I like what he says, in which you walked following the course of this world. I like how Eugene Peterson says in the message, he says, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, dictate and tell you how to live. Can we all agree, and I hope this is the unsanctified crowd this morning, that um, sin is fun. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you've never sinned. You are perfect. We should talk after the service. If anyone, doesn't, if anyone tells you that sin is not fun, they're not doing it right, okay? So he's telling us this, that you are allowing the world to tell you how to live This is what the problem is, that we've allowed culture to dictate how we live. We've allowed the world to tell us, no, this is how we are going to live our life. And so then he says, you're going to try and be good at this, right? You're going to, here's the idea that it's not of your own good works that's going to give you into this new life of Christ. Some of us, we will work our tails off. We will try to do more for God. We'll try to please him. Like, think about this in terms of the Ten Commandments, right? In terms of the Ten Commandments, we think, well, if I could just achieve all of these, then this is going to win over the heart of God. Well, let's see how we're doing. How many of you, when it says, honor your father and mother, have you ever been a teenager? Or do you have teenagers? Amen. Have no other God before me. Now, back in the South, where I'm from, Our God was young men in tights throwing around pigskin. Sounds very disgusting when I explain it like that, but it's also called football. No, it's not the biggest thing out here. But we don't play down in the South about our football. That is the greatest threat to our church in the Southeast. Is on Saturday, if Auburn is playing a late game, then... Half of my church back in the South would not come to church the next day. All because they were more interested in watching young boys in tights throwing around pigskin. You dirty men, you. What about covet? You ever see something that that annoying person posts on Facebook and you say to yourself, oh, I could have done better than that. That's coveting. So if we're measuring our goodness based on our good works or based on the law, then we could see that there's a problem. So not only are we dead, but even in our good works, things are a little hairy, right? Things just aren't well. But look at this great verse in verse 4, when Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you have been saved. I want you to hear the emphatic force of what Paul says. He says, but God, because if it ended in verse three, you and I would be in a lot of problems. If there was no but God, then, then folks, we'd be in a lot of problems this morning. We would still be dead in our sins, in our trespasses, but God had mercy on the weak. He had mercy on the corrupt. He had mercy on those who covet. He had mercy on those who want things that don't belong to them, that others have. He had mercy on us. And there's nothing that we could have done to obtain the salvation, this great work. But he says, but God, through Jesus Christ, has given us this great work. And so here is this dramatic twist and turn of events that happens, right? This hopelessness in verse 1, that you're dead, you're a terrible person, right? Like, I'm so not an encourager this morning. Like, you're just this thing of existence. Notice this dramatic shift in turn of events that takes place with verse 4. is in stark contrast with what happens in verse 1 that God has deposited this resurrection power inside of us, despite us. And I want you to see and hear what the grace of God is. You all may know that the grace just simply means this free gift of God. So grace is that not that God accepts you as you are, grace accepts you despite who you are. It's a big difference in those two ideas. So despite you being dead, and Paul would later on write and say that you are an enemy with God because of your sin, that you have made God your enemy, despite that, despite this universal indictment, despite this horrible, terrible news, that grace is there, and grace was a free gift, for you. And this is the best news that I can give you. And, and I know some of you are probably thinking like, okay, this is the gospel. I know this already, preacher. I'm so glad you said that, even though I don't know if you said that, but maybe in your heart you're thinking, this seems like such an elementary doctrine. Why are we talking about this? Because it is not an elementary doctrine. You never get to graduate from the doctrine of the grace of Jesus Christ. You don't graduate from the gospel. Because I know that on those days when I'm not batting at, you know, a thousand, like I ever batted a thousand, I never batted a thousand. But those days that I'm just a grumpy old man that nobody wants to be around. You know the guy that I'm talking about, the guy who's probably yelling at the kids that are in his yard. Get off my lawn, child! Like, I get like that sometimes. I just get moody, okay? I don't know if it's a midlife crisis thing or whatever. But you, man, you get like this. It's in those moments when you need the gospel to redirect your heart from yourself and your situation and redirect it back onto what Christ has done for you. It's in those dark nights, maybe a sick child or maybe a sick parent or, or whatever, that you need the gospel to redirect your heart after, off of your circumstances and onto what Christ has done. This is not Christianity 101. This is Christianity, the gospel the grace of Jesus Christ, that he came despite you in your deadness. 
and he lavished his grace upon you. Verse 8, I've got a little issue with this verse. It says, for by grace you have been saved. If you've ever thought about that verse and really thought about the gospel, who saved you? So was it Paul saying that it was, was it grace that saved you or was it Jesus that saved you? Which one was it? You ever thought about that when you see this verse? Titus 2, 11 would tell us that for the grace of God, get this y'all, because this is good. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So who is grace then? Who is it? It's Jesus. Jesus is the grace that appeared to us. This free gift that Paul says that by grace you've been saved, it's by Jesus Christ that you've been saved. Jesus Christ has appeared to us in the form of grace and given it to us as an offer on the table. For by grace you have been saved. There are four things right here in these two verses that I want to direct, direct your attention to. Look at the cause. So if you take notes, you should write that down. That's a good word, the cause. The cause, you think about the cause, it's by grace, which answers the solution. I'm about to get really nerdy on you, so really pay attention to what I'm saying. It answers the question, what is the solution to this terrible situation that Paul presented to us? Why did God make us alive? What is the cause of this? It's grace. It's his grace. It's the grace of Christ that was on the cross. It's the grace of Christ that saved us. It's the grace of Christ that appeared before us and saved us. The cause of all of this is grace. Church, if we could just kind of let that sink in. If we could just really just rest in his grace, I, I promise you, man, you will find so much peace and rest. And it will remove such a burden off of you of the self-achievement culture that we find ourselves in and just dive into the deep oceans of his grace. And then we see the means, right? So we have the cause, it's grace. The means is through faith. It's that hand that takes hold of what Jesus did. It's not some religious feeling that you get, the tinglys. It's not the religious goosebumps that you have. It's the confidence in knowing that Jesus Christ accomplished all things on the cross for you and I. It's the faith. Now, whose faith is it? Paul wants to ask the question. Whose faith is it? It's God's faith that was granted to you. You, you see, you see, like, you see this? Like, you have nothing to do with any of this. Salvation's not about you. It doesn't, you don't have to really work your way into it. Take your hands off the wheel. It's Christ who's doing the work. It's Christ who gives you the faith. It's Christ who's given you the grace. It's all him. The reformers, 500 years ago, would come on to the scene in the face of the Catholic Church 
who was persecuting the Christians, who were persecuting the church and telling them that you have to pay more penance and do all of these things in order for you to get into good services to God. Martin Luther would go on and he didn't mean to start a fight, but what do you do when you nail thesis to a door to a Catholic? You're going to start a fight. And Martin Luther read this scripture and he would say that this is sola gratia, sola fides, grace alone, faith alone. And this would echo throughout the church and set the church free from the bondage of do-goodism, from the bondage of you've got to do more. So do we see the effect of the grace of God and the faith of God that he grants you? It takes this burden off of you. So all you got to do is just rest in the goodness of God. And so we have the means. Now we have the effects. Make it known, though, right? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hashing and, and fighting this good works mentality, but I want you to see what grace brings you into, that there are effects of the grace of God in your life. And it's what? It's good works for the Father. So grace just doesn't find you and just leave you as you are. I think that's an idea that some churches have, that grace just finds me, and now I can live flippantly however I want to. I'll go cuss you and your mama out as I please. I'll go flick the guy off who can't drive on Main Street. There's a lot of them. <laughs> I'll just holy, in a holy way, just beat my horn excessively. No, what does grace do? It doesn't just leave you there just for you to figure things out. What does grace do? If you understand true grace, you'll understand that it's called you into something. It's the effects of the gospel. It's the effects of the grace of God. He says, now you've been created to do good things. And then look what he says. He gives us a promise. So let me back up. You've got a cause. You've got a means. You've got an effect, which is the works of Christ that you are doing. And now you have a promise. And here's the promise. What God said he'll finish, he'll finish. What does he say? We are his workmanship. We were created to do good things. So if I'm in his workmanship, like he's still working in me. If I'm his workmanship, then no offense, I'm God's Beethoven's Fifth Symphony of the Cosmos. I don't know what you are, but that's who I am. And God is constantly working in me. He's constantly growing me. So here's this idea of this promise that if God has called you into his grace and he has given you this grace and faith, he's not going to just leave you there. He's going to continue to craft you. He's going to continue to grow you. This is the theological idea we get called sanctification. That you are being sanctified. You are being grown more into the image of God. In church, this is radical good news. Because this means that the Matthew you would have met 10 years ago ain't the Matthew today. If my wife were in here, which I don't know where she went, she would have given me a big amen. 
You ever thought about that? Like, think about the person you were a year ago, two years ago, ten years ago, and you think to yourself, I was the biggest idiot on the planet. Maybe you don't think that, but I think that. I pretty much think that every week. Last week, I was a pretty big idiot. But this week, I know that I've grown a little bit. Why? Because God has given us a promise that we are his workmanship and that he is crafting you and he is not going to let you go. And you're going to be such a foolish dude sometimes, but that's okay. God's crafting you. He's making you more into the image. So I have a couple of questions about grace. If we could understand the concept of grace, this should radically just change our minds. This should change our lives. That in my deadness, Christ would come and redeem me. In my deadness, Christ would come and and appear before me with his grace. In In my deadness, me being an enemy towards God, Christ would still come and save me and make me alive. If he's done that for you, then how about the people around you? You think it's for them? Or do you just think that the grace is just for you? Sometimes I wrestle with that, even as a pastor, okay? Sometimes I just wrestle like, you know, God's God's just crafting me. I've got to focus on myself. And it's easy for me just to forget about my neighbors. But if we can understand this true gospel of grace, then this would radically transform how you view your neighbors. Because maybe your neighbors are still dead in their sins. I often view it as a couple of years ago, my my neighbor across the street back in Georgia where I was living, her house just erupted in flames. I mean, it just didn't erupt. There was a cause and effect to that. She was frying something. I know y'all don't do any kind of frying food around here, but... We love to fry everything back in the South. And it deteriorates your insides every time you eat this fried substance. And this young lady was frying something, and she just went out of her house for two seconds to ask her neighbor if she wanted some of the food that she was frying. And then the grease caught on to the house, and the house went kaboom. Now, again, I, I do some crazy things, but I was not running into her house because I knew she didn't have children. But my other neighbors, now they were crazy, y'all. They like just straight up out of some Redneckville movie, but I loved them because they were awesome people. The lady had a dog. These jokers were foolish enough to go into a house that's in flames to go rescue Fufu. Hello, my name is Matthew. I got another uh, confession to make. I love you, I do. But I don't love your dog. Your dog is not that special to me that I would go running into a house to go catch little foo-foo. But these crazy jokers were. If we, could, if we could kind of understand grace like that, your neighbor is in a house that's in flames right now. You're going to sit idly by like Matthew and it's like, well, foo-foo makes it out okay. Or my crazy radical neighbor who would risk his life. That's radical Grace. Your neighbor's house is on fire, and you need to show them the grace of God. That's one question I have. The other question I pose 
is do you get grace this morning? And if you do, hear the offer on the table this morning. It's free. You ain't got to do nothing. Just take your hands off the wheel and let God lavishly pour out His love on you. Can you just open up your hands and say, God, I surrender to your grace. It's all you have to do. Just let this free gift of faith, take hold of that faith. God, I believe who you say that you are, that you are God. This is grace. This is grace for his church. And this is the grace that this church will walk in. Let me pray over this morning. Father, thank you so much.